Welcome, folks, to back to another virtual CISO happy hour with Access Point Advisory Services. We really appreciate you being here. And we've got a couple of folks with us today that are different, different, our different panelists. We've got Jason Sniss here today, and we've got just Jeff Hancock today. My name is Rick Leib. I'm your host. I have been in information security and IT for about 35 years. I've uh, done a little bit of a little bit of healthcare, a little bit of finance, a little bit of IT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So today we're here to talk about NYDFS, why it's important and what it is and what happens if you don't follow NYDFS and answer some questions for our audience. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Jason Nist to go ahead and introduce himself, give us a little bit about his background. Yeah. So my name is Jason Nist. I've been a technology leader in financial services companies for um, you know well over a decade. Uh, most recently, uh, I was the CIO for the last several years at American Advisors Group. We have Jeff Hancock returning with us again this week. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. So I've been in cybersecurity for a long time. Uh, been in CISO for about 18 years now across the private sector and public sector. Um, done quite a bit of work in uh, finance, government work, uh, but primarily focused on cyber operations uh, across a broad, a broad uh, industry base. Thanks awesome. for being here again. Awesome. I appreciate it. So, Jason, your experience with NYDFS coming out of the credit union space, coming out of the banking space, that's been pretty extensive, correct? Yeah, so I was I was lucky enough to be involved in technology when NYDFS really became a thing back in 2017, you know, and it kind of got dropped on us, um, but, you know, pretty unexpectedly, you know, and we had to do a lot of uh, you know, heavy lifting and, and quick turnarounds to, you know, meet compliance. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a it's been on my radar for the last heavily for the last six years. Okay, and just for folks, just you know, NYDFS. Just for anyone that doesn't is unaware, NYDFS, uh, New York Department of Financial Services. They are the you know kind of regulatory agency over um, financial companies that practice in the financial service space in New York. Um, and they, uh, you know, like I said, back in 2017, had come up with a set of guidelines, regulations to um, you know protect. The, the New York residents, um, you know, financial, uh, you know, services, uh, data, their their personal information, um, you know, and their financial information, uh, and they've really come to be, you know, kind of the the leader in the front of of nationwide security. It's not just businesses that operate in New York that have to follow these regulations. We're seeing other states that are often copying or picking up on the same regulations as NYDFS. So even though it is, you know, specifically the the New York um, Department of Financial Services, it really is starting to kind of uh, branch out and encompass the entire country. Yeah, I remember that too. I remember when uh, uh, when it first came out, as it was being developed, actually, one of the bigger questions has, was, <clears throat> should this apply outside of New York? Should it be a federal regulation? Then how does it apply to every other federal regulation for security that exists today? What's that look like? That yeah. caused a lot of consternation across the finance sector, but then also you know, like the mom and pops in Omaha, Nebraska running a small bank. What do we do? How does that work? Yeah. I remember there's a lot of consternation with that that issue, but I think in the last few years, um, I haven't heard a lot about it being pushed necessarily as a primary driver of regulation, as you might hear PCI, obviously, there's some financial issues there, um, or even the the NIST CSF. So I'm curious if, you know, in, what, in your experience, um, What's been particularly challenging? Has it been the messaging of the value proposition to boards and, and directors and your peers in, in doing that compliance? Or has it been more a particular element of the, the requirements for MWDFS? 
You know, for us in particular, at least since I've I've been dealing with NYDFS, it's um it's not so much a value proposition and you know, deciding on whether or not we should, you know, continue to operate in New York or continue to follow these regulations. New York was a significant portion of our business. So it was never, you know, really an option. Um but really it's just been, you know, the challenges that we faced and um and I think a lot of companies continue to face is just kind of keeping up with the changes, keeping um you know, keeping up with the regulations that that, that they're putting out. Uh, I laughed or I, I chuckled the other day when I was looking at NYDFS's website, and they they make a statement that they, um, you know, they generously give sixty days notice. But anybody that works in technology or or really any company understands that sixty days is is a minute. You know, it's really nice. you know, we don't have to react. Um, but and then back to the other thing, uh, Jeff, where I've seen it. Um, Kind of branching out, maybe it's more just because of my mentality. I was a California-based company, um, but CCPA and the, Cal- the California regulatory agency was right on the heels of NYDFS, so that was another big one for us. So to us, it just kind of felt like it was <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, I bet, I bet. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate you guys. So, what are some of the particular requirements that are getting really challenging, Jeff, that you've run into with NYDFS over the last few years? <laughs> what specifically have been challenging, and why? And how did you overcome those challenges? Sure, sure. So, it's really been um, been in two parts from in my experience. Right, it's been not only convincing, you know, the, the CEOs, the CIOs, to some degree, the CFO, the board, the value proposition of implementing it correctly versus doing a very fast. Hey, let's just check the box. We've got this audit coming out. We need to make this requirement time. And so we have 60 days to Jason's point <clears throat> be able to be able to pass this. What do we need done? That's minimum requirements. And then I would be brought in to try to assess and then analyze and implement those minimum requirements, which was always a problem because you had to take a step back and say, your gaps are here. There's no way you're going to get it done in 60 days. So you're going to end up lying on your compliance arm, which you don't want to do. So <laughs> there's some challenges with that. So that was always, it was that communication of the technical value. Um, to the business folks so they understood it was a priority uh, in their business and running the business. It wasn't just a compliance check the box. It was actually operationalizing it. On the technical side, it was definitely how it applies to um, really supply chain. Um, supply chain slash vendor management. I mean, there's a section that says vendor management, but when you broaden that scope as a financial organization, you, your supply chain is all the other banks who have any access to your network providing you data it's the government's networks interconnected you, providing information. How do you make sure those are secure in your supply chain, right? Because there's links in those chains. There's bad guys in one of those links. Everyone could get infected. So you've got to keep that in mind. It's really, it was really trying to help them define and outline and create really a supply chain security metric that would, that would apply to DFS in a way that was robust enough to be able to measure it. Um, that, was, that was very much a challenge. Um, MFA was a challenge because you were dealing with legacy systems, cloud platforms, new applications, uh, new directions the business wanted to go to allow users to have access to, to, to their data. It was definitely a challenge in those, those areas. I mean, MFA is MFA. Right? It's pretty straightforward, but it's the application thereof. And <laughs> those three areas always seem to be a, a consternation, always seem to be a challenge and a problem. So that's what I've experienced anyway. So, Jason, have you run into the same experience where you've got to explain to the C-levels, the additional other C-levels, the board levels, and had pushback? And if you have, how do you overcome that? Because NYDFS has got some pretty good teeth to it. Yeah. But I mean, how have you overcome some of the objections in the past? It's, it's really, you know, it, we have. Um, 
you know, especially like, you know, Jeff mentioned with the supply chain, you know, kind of the, the business units that interact with third parties and think that they can just go on board or bring on, you know, any additional tool service, um, you know, partner that they'd like, um, not understanding that, you know, they may also have to either, you know, meet NYDFS standards or, um, you know, there's certain processes that we have to follow in order to give them access to our data. And, and it was, it's a, it's a hard challenge. Um, you know, the, the business wants to move, you know, uh, very, very fast. And, you know, here we are kind of throwing roadblocks and road speed bumps and, you know, bringing them down for NYDFS. So um, it, it really just comes down to, you know, what I spent a lot of time doing was really explaining the risk, um, you know, partnering with, uh, you know, my risk officer, partnering with, with my, my CISO, you know, at one point you, um, and, uh, and, and, and really, you know, kind of, Selling that or educating, you know, our president and our CEO so that we could really kind of use him to, you know, bridge that gap and, and kind of slow down, you know, some of the other business channels. So it really, you know, my recommendation would be, um, you know, start with your core team, really get them invested in NYDFS, you know, dig into it with them, go through the risks and the impacts, um, and then, you know, kind of build that core team to go out and spread the, the, the news and, and, you know, bring everybody else under that umbrella. So what areas, when you do that, Jason, so let me ask you this. So what areas have required more explanation, if you will, to the C-levels to get the buy-in than some other areas? I mean, so MFA is pretty straightforward. Everybody today knows what MFA is. You know, unfortunately, the bad guys, you know, some of us know how to get around MFA. Yeah. Uh, it's becoming more and more prevalent these days, you know, stealing and authenticated cookies and whatnot. Um, but what are some of the challenges around trying to explain what some of these technical things are to the C-level to get their buy-in because they just didn't understand. Yeah, you know, MFA was a big one. Um, every time you add MFA or every time you you say, you know, you've got to do, a, a, you know, a token check on, you know, when you log into Salesforce or whatever, you know, we've got to go through single sign-on. It, you know, they think it's the end of the world. It's adding an extra stop, step. Uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to you know, blow out their processes. But the reality is, just got to kind of hold that line and and push them through it because it really doesn't and it becomes habit and, and part of the process very quickly. Um, I think the the bigger challenges that we faced, um, you know, personally were in the you know kind of the data encryption um, and how that impacted other their other tools and and really just you know kind of you know going back to how do you convince them and how do you you bring them on board. Um, like I said, you just got to really got to paint that picture and really get into the risk. And, you know, I, I was lucky and unlucky enough in, in, a, in, a, in a point where, like I said, New York was, you know, I think at one point, 15 percent of our business. So it wasn't um, it wasn't really an option to say, you know, hey, we're just going to we're going to we're going to stop doing business there. I mean, we, we actually did uh, for a small period of time in the beginning where we, we, we stopped funding loans um, in that state. But it was. Who's impact, and so that was kind of everybody's mind and driver was to get back to that, and let's let's bring that that business back in here. These are the challenges that we have to face and overcome to do that. A clarity perspective on some of these opportunities, right? Some of the some of the requirements, I should say. What have you seen is lacking in your experience? Right? If you were to take a um, an eighty twenty view, right? What twenty percent of the requirements are driving eighty percent of the lack of clarity or confusion or stumbling blocks or that kind of thing. From what you've seen or experienced, really, you know, I, I would say back in the beginning of, of NYDFS, and I think it's gotten better to a point. Um, it, it kind of felt like they were 
creating rules um, around, you know, data processes that maybe they didn't fully understand. You know, um, a big one that, that hit us was uh, around data encryption and, and encryption at rest. And, um, you know, I think that the challenges there were we had some legacy systems, you know, that use that data transactionally and so encrypting it midstream really it, it did slow down business and cause impacts. Um, uh, but it, it was a hard rule, and it still is a hard rule within NYDFS. And even though you may have, you know, encryption in transit, and you may have, you know, other um, firewalls and protections and segmentation, um, you know, they really, you know, kind of stuck to that rule. So that was, I think, understanding or their lack of understanding back in the day, maybe of all of the other features that we have protecting this data. You know, is that really a requirement? Um, you know, right. to that level, right? So it does. But it feels like NYDFS, you know, they're not the most technical people that are making right. these rules. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's Congress. I live I live in Virginia, so I deal with this on a pretty regular basis. So that's like Congress and the Senate and the privacy laws. Anyway, won't go yeah. there. Um, different podcast. Um, <laughs> so from your experience, what in those particular areas that you just outlined, giving that example you just gave of the, you know, encryption, arrest, et cetera. When you try to implement these standards or modify your organization to implement those standards, was there any extra cost associated with doing that? Did you have to move more things off of legacy systems to cloud? Did you have to update more systems? And and I'm not asking for specific numbers, but did you experience what is like a million dollar increase in OPEX or CAPEX? Or how did you guys manage that? It was it was very significant. You know, I, I, it, it was years ago. I don't have you know specific dollar amounts in, in my head anymore. But we actually operated on a legacy platform um, that was the only platform of its kind. Uh, you know that we uh, we wrote we created, um, and that platform was uh, older and sensitive to changes, and it was not built to read you know encrypted data or or unencrypted data. And so we actually had to go back and redesign the system at its core. Um, so that we could, you know, kind of slim down some other processes, um, you know, to kind of make up for the additional time that it took, you know, for the system to access and, and transactionalize that data. Um, so it was a significant project. It was a multi-year project, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, more than doubled our budget, uh, that, you know, yeah. in that space. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate, right? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of folks listening who are in this space who work in the financial sector. Who I'm sure they've experienced some of that same pain, and there's no easy way around it. But I think what triggered the question for me was when you said some of the folks who created DFS don't understand the long tail implications of these changes. I think that's where there's that government private sector collaboration. If we make this change, here's the residual cost, and here's what it's going to do to the business. Which we understand, you know, privacy is important, encryption is important, threat management is important. But at what point do you say, okay, we can only go this far, and here's why we have to figure something out? I think that's a that's a challenge. Some of your perception on that. But on that, to also add on, you know, not only you know this is the change and this is the tail and the cost, but this is the risk, you know. And, and there's some things that we I feel like, uh, and I know peers in the industry feel like they focus on that maybe aren't the highest level of risk. Um, you know, kind of like what I said with data encryption or. Yeah, uh, encryption at rest, you know, is is that uh, is critical, you know, given the other, you know, kind of uh, castle walls that we have built around data and, and other things that we have to protect it. 
you know, inside the system isn't necessary. And, you know, maybe look, NYBFS really does come down to just creating a set of best practices that really everybody should follow, you know. Right. Um, right. And and if I were starting, um, you know, Greenfield, brand new, fresh business, um, it would be very, I think, easy to kind of build that in. And it, it, there would be a cost associated, but it would be easy to, to build that in and start it. It's really these companies that have operated for years, you know, legacy systems or, um, you know, maybe a, a, an older company with legacy system that wants to expand in New York that, that now has to, you know, uh, account for that. And so that's that's really, you know, the, kind of the challenge. Hmm. So we got a question from the audience. I'm going to go ahead and throw it Jeff Hancock real quick. So Jeff, we got a, we got a question that says, how can you, uh, can you help us understand what happens from the regulator's perspective? On the security side, we hear that we need to comply with regulations or else we know big quotes around or else, fines, et cetera. But how do regulators like NYDFS go about snagging non-compliant companies? How likely are violators to be caught and fined? How often yeah. people cheat on their taxes? We know that. How how because they know that they're unlikely to be audited. How prevalent do you believe it could potentially be cheating on NYDFS? Well, I think it I don't think anybody can really cheat on it, either compliant or not. I think the issue goes back to um, are the audits accurate? And are you being honest with those audits? And then, you know, does that mean you've got to go out and is self attestation Do you go hire a third party? You know, how does that going to play out? And then, you know, the the folks at the DFS, are, they've got to do their due diligence. But again, I think with so many companies who are utilizing it, yeah. there's not the bandwidth to to be able to verify every single one. Um, that's been my experience anyway. Um I like I said earlier, I've, I've known organizations, no organizations, rather large, top twenty-five financial organizations, who decided, well, we're just going to check the box here, um, and it put it put the CISO and the CIO <laughs> in a difficult spot because sure. it's your reputation, it's your, it's a lot of things. So I think the the advice I would have is that obviously not just that outside of this conversation. But I mean, if any CIO or CISO has that challenge where they've got executives or peers saying, yeah, it's okay, just check the box. Especially when it comes to just your reputation, what you're standing for, because you stand for something, right, in the job that you've got. And that was always a pushback to me because when I was challenged with that, I was like, yeah, no, that's not my character. That's not my person. (laughs) Yeah, I've actually left. Go around and go somewhere else. Yeah. 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 I I, I left an organization because of sign here, please, or else. No, I'm not going to sign that. That's not really honest. That's. It's not yeah. your name. It's my name. It's going to go throughout the industry for the next, you know, 10, 15 years till I retire. No, I'm not going to sign that. Uh, so, yeah, no, I understand that completely. Your personal brand actually does matter. Yeah. And NYDFS can have a very positive or negative impact uh, or any regulatory agency on your personal brand in that respect. So, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that perspective. I really do. Question for you, Jason. So how difficult do you find it with third-party uh, with, with third party coverage completely, like third-party risk assessments? And how do you... How do you apply that to NYDFS? Is there anything specific that you ask for from your vendors to prove that they're NYDFS compliant or to help you prove your TPRA is at least reviewed? Yeah, you know, so I, I was great for lucky enough in the past to have most of that handled, handled by vendor management. I had a vendor management team that really understood NYDFS and, and you know, we're pretty good about checking those boxes with the vendors. I would say we more ran into issues where, especially some of the smaller vendors, um, 
you know, that that may not have as robust a program, not wanting to comply or provide that information. And so that that was often a hurdle. And it's actually one of the, the you know, kind of the takeaways that I, I kept with it is really increasing the education and the understanding across the business unit so that they they know before they start sourcing vendors and partners, um, you know, that, that there are these requirements that have to be met. And, um, you know, if we want to continue to do business, that's not an option. So, um, but I do see a lot. I have, I, I felt a lot of vendors really feel like it's intrusive. Um, you know, why are you asking me for this? Why, why would I provide that to you? You know, or finding, I think uh, Rick and I ran into it a couple of times with some vendors and found that they just didn't even have the policies, period. Um, Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. And that's tough because you have to make the decision as business. Do I, do I accept the risk of doing business with these guys? I really need their product or their service. And that's a risk that you have to answer as the CIO or CISO. Yeah, we, we were looking at, I, I ran into an issue where I was looking at a new platform kind of to replace our, our LOS. Um, and and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't meet the requirements, you know? And so we had to, you know, walk away from the deal. And I think we were in the contract phase. Um, wow. So. Oh, it's a tough play. It's a tough play. It is. That is tough. I mean, and that, that's brutal. So it, it, because you got, now you've got to explain to the business why I know you want to do this. I know you really need this, but I'm sorry, we can't. We've made the decision that this is too risky. And then the business has kind of got a sour taste in their mouth from InfoSec. Like, oh my God, they stopped us from doing business again. It's costing us money. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. So, okay. Mm-hmm. I agree. So what are some of the specific controls pose, uh, pose the greatest implementation difficulties? Jeff, what have you, what, what are these NYDFS controls you've, you've run into to where, you know, it's just brutally difficult to get in, in place? And if you do, and you're unable to get something specifically in place, what compensating controls or how do you go about finding a compensating control that can meet that need? Sure. So I don't think, you know, as Jay's mentioned, you know, the um, encryption right across all platforms and the MF, or excuse me, MFA across all platforms and the encryption components, right? Um, that those have been, I can think back, and those have been particular challenges just from a requirements perspective. Because again, gosh, to take MFA, right? That's implementing those across systems. That again, legacy, uh, cloud, various applications. What the business is bringing to the table, saying, "Hey, we just bought this new software, or we're having the software developed for our users. How are we going to make sure?" Blah, blah. And I mean, that's like that's that's architecting and engineering. In some cases, three different systems run MFA, MFA, and they don't necessarily all talk together. So you've got to, that, that was been, I think that stands out as one of the more difficult uh, elements uh, in my experience, mapping, managing, implementing those MFA systems to the, to maintain that requirement uh, or enhance the requirement of what we could do. Um, but also things like uh, threat management, threat modeling, um, understanding in you know, not having a SOC, your organization may or may not have a SOC, but you still have to manage monitor incoming threats, that kind of thing, being able to tie those threats to actual real, again, is it, <laughs> what's your architecture like in, in, in the organization that I have to deal with? How do, the, how do we identify the threats? How do we mitigate those threats? All proactively based, right? Um, when you're dealing with multiple architectures, that was always a challenge. So you're able to be able to present back to the board, to the business, hey, yeah, we're meeting these requirements, but here's the extent that we're doing it. And here's what we're going to need in 12 months to pay for it. Even more, right? To expand these roles, that was always a challenge, right? Um, again, I, again, I think that the in my experience in the financial sector, 
with a small, I mean, all range, small, mid-sized and large organizations, it has been a challenge to be able to help business folks translate the impact of not meeting the security compliance requirements and operationalizing those. What's that look like from a business perspective? Because as Jason went out, I just want to do my business. I just want to do my job. Right. And, and you guys are getting in the way again because if we're turning down a vendor who can't, who's not compliant. But right. at the same token, we've got, we as, as security professionals have to come to the table and say, look, right, here's out of a list of 10 issues that we've identified that you ha- that we have in not meeting these requirements. Here's three that we have to fix in the next 12 months. These other seven, okay, maybe six to eight months, but we've got to fix these quickly. And then tying it to business, right? I think those have been, to get a broader answer to your question, that's been a, always a two-pronged approach. There's a handful uh, of requirements you've got to implement. They may or may not go well, but then how do you justify the cost to be able to say, hey, boss, write the check because <laughs> here's what we need to get done or we're not going to be compliant. So it's been a challenge for sure. Okay. Okay, I was curious. So on, on, the, on those costs, so when you run into those challenges of the MFA, for example, that we keep going back to, how do you justify the costs and do you map those? Do you, do you map those justifications to compliance level? Because one of the things I've always found it to be successful. It's not always recommended you take this route, but it seems to work for me sometimes. It's going back to compliance and saying, in order to be these compliant, we need to spend this kind of money to get these three systems to start communicating because they don't natively do so. And I've got to have my SSO, and I've got to have my the same encryption levels and, and encryption decryption applications. How have you gone back? And have you used, have you gone back and justified those such as like, like I said, I've used compliance as mm-hmm. a justification and been somewhat successful, not always, but been somewhat successful. Have you found anything, any ways other than flying back at compliance and saying, this is what we need to do, Jeff? Um, actually, years ago, I'd used a compliance argument, but then I realized that, you know, I was not the only one who cared about it, but it, it quickly seemed like everybody was putting a lot of business, other things in front of that compliance. And I quickly learned. I'm going to take all the security reasons why we need to do something, all the compliance reasons why we need to do something, put those aside. I'm going to look at the results. If we don't do compliance, what's going to happen? If we don't implement these technologies, what's going to happen? So I come to the table and say, look, folks, we don't do these things. Do you want want your new platform to be launched in six months? Do you want to pay these additional fines? So I was very much focused on the results if you, we did this and the results if we did not. Yeah. And that, that spoke to business terms right away because that's what the business folks and, and CIOs would understand. Is, oh my, my gosh, wait a second. There's an IT cost. If, if we don't do this and this is going to happen, there's a business cost. If we do this, this is going to happen. And it was really a, a way of turning the tables a little bit. You know, the old traditional, we're going to talk, uh, the CISO is going to talk business. Well, you got to talk in what's going to happen if you don't do this or if you do do this. Uh, I, I found that being very effective throughout my career. Okay. That's good. Jason, how about you? No, it's, just saying, it's really backing into that. You know, it's, it's not taking it from this is what it's going to cost, turning it around to say this is what it's going to save us, or this is what it's going to allow us to, um, to make. Um, you know, and kind of, uh, you got to, you know, especially if you're in like a sales organization, you really got to hit their bottom line and show them, mm-hmm. you know, this is what you're going to lose if we don't do this. Um, but to go back on it too, one of my favorite things is always to go to internal audit and tip it off, and make it a fine. Mine too. <laughs> I find IA is awesome. Yep. I mean, I love getting audited personally. I know I always end up with more money. Yep. Great. <laughs> yeah. Or just even, even if organizations don't have an internal audit, 
you're, you know, in, if your CFO is not your internal audit, going to your CFO and saying, hey, by the way, you know, that regulation that we're required to meet, we're not going to make it. Here's not only the, the fines, but here's the business impact. And that makes the CIO, it, it, it can turn, I've seen it turn the CIO into a strong proponent of security because they come yeah. to the table saying, wait a minute, this is going to affect me because it's a legal issue as, a, as the CFO, um, right? Or even the, the general counsel and going in and saying, wait, this is going to be a challenge legally or financially for the organization. I need to take this on. I need to be a, a team player here and spearhead this conversation with the directors or the, the CEO or whatever. I've, I've worked that angle several times. It seems to work every single time, actually. So, Yeah, I've worked the reputation angle a few times. Because if you end up not complying, you end up on the news, your reputation tanks, and it takes a few years to get over that yeah, if you survive yeah. it. Yep, yep. Agreed. I've taken that approach a couple of times. So looking ahead, what would you see as any of the biggest potential blockers of the new regulation updates, Jeff, um, with NYDFS, is there anything coming down the pipe that you see is going to be particularly challenging for organizations? Um, I not particularly no. I mean, but I, I I look at this more holistically, right? If you're uh, in the financial sector, you need to have an enterprise security program in place. That strategy and the program plan, not just the policies, but the architecture, design, that kind of thing, should be in place to some degree. So I don't think I, I've not seen anything that's going to be compelling necessarily. That's going to be a dramatic change. I think it's just going to be more of the same. I think one of the things that does concern me is alignment with other regulations, right? So crosswalking. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's always been a challenge, right? There's there's 51 different breach notification laws in the country, almost one for every state. <laughs> the federal one they can't figure out yet. So I mean, you, you look at things like that um, in the financial sector, just it makes it complicated, right? Um, PCI is very scoped. And when yes. DFS is very scoped, right? Neither are, are holistic for an enterprise operations organization. So I think one of the challenges is going to be looking if I'm if I'm a CISO in the financial sector, looking at all my whole organization, and then pulling in what happens if this changes or this changes. How's it going to change my operations? I think that's going to be a, a consistent battle. One I've seen going forward, anyway. So the operation. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't spit that out, but I couldn't spit it out. <laughs> so the operator, if, I still can't yeah, spit that it out. Works. <laughs> yeah, that works. That, that's going to be, that's what, what your primary focus is uh, on the upcoming changes, is making sure you can continue to operate. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Jason, what about you? Anything coming up with NYDFS coming down the pipe that you see that could potentially get in the way or be ex- overly challenging for organizations to adopt? No, it's and again, I, I agree with Jeff. I don't really see anything, um, you know, in the pipe. But unfortunately, we don't get a view very far out into that pipe. And, you know, as I mentioned, they typically only start talking about it sixty days in advance. Um, I, I think the the big thing, going back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is is you know, are the other states that are adopting it, you know, and and what are the other regula- regulations that are going to come into play that are going to pick up or follow suit with NYDFS? And if they ever do get off the ground with the, the, the federal regulations, um, you know, that's going to be quite interesting. So if I was a business uh, or I wind up working with a business that is not currently in New York, I think um, the smart play right now is to start looking at some of those regulations and seeing how you can jump uh, in front of them before you are required. Yep. I use uh, GDPR as an example of that. Anytime we've got privacy issues, 
or an uh, NPI issue. So I try to, to work with organizations and say, you know, if you follow this, because if you become GDPR compliant or as close to it or CCPA, you're going to get across the rest, of the rest of the 50 countries or, you know, 48 states, 50 states. You'll be fine in that respect. So I, I kind of take the same approach. Let's find the more restrictive, but yet we can still operate with. And if we can't operate within something, we've got to come up with a good justification why. You know, and what then our compensating control is so that when we do get audited, we could show the auditor, yes, we intentionally know we can't make this, but we've done these three things and it's a place to help cover ourselves. And sometimes I find that helps. Sometimes I find auditors don't like that. Plain and simple. It's like yes or no. So, okay, awesome. Awesome. So are there any emergent technologies or capabilities that could ease NYDFS like AI, Jeff? I mean, Jeff, I know you're my AI guy, so I'm going to kind of throw that at you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you see any AI or any, any new emergency technologies and machine learning that yeah. would help folks with NYDFS regulations or no. how to apply them? No, no. Really? I mean, it's, yeah, I just, I, the reason why I say this is just, man, I've heard AI and, and machine learning for the last 10 years as a, as a sales pitch from different folks. And here's what we've got. And now all of a sudden it's taken up, taken legs on because of GPT, uh, which I just find kind of interesting. Now everybody's saying it's going to affect this out of the other. From an operational standpoint, outside of DFS, as a CISO, yes, AI, uh, some of the tool sets that we know bad guys are using can yep. help streamline some of the processes, it, documentation that we do, approaches we do as CISOs for sure. Um, and it, it could lend itself to more, I wouldn't say automation of compliance, not by that measure. But it can help auditors, you know, make sure um, that things are checked on, that you've got a plan of action, you've got a, a methodology to make sure you're addressing the right control sets. Absolutely. But it's very, to me, that's more administrative security work versus operational security work uh, that I think that could, that could apply to. I don't know what, Jason, I don't know what you think, what you've I, seen, how would that work? I agree. I think, you know, the, the DFS requirements are kind of... Um, they're a little more rigid, uh, you know, and I think where AI and, and machine learning, you know, may play a, a, a part is, you know, things are a little bit more fluid or a little bit more flexible. And and here, you know, we have these requirements we have to hit. These are, these are you know, what we're going to hit. So I don't see where it's going to help um, really kind of control that. I'm, I embrace AI and I think it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great tool, but I, I think it's going to be the opposite is more, you know, what regulations are going to get added or come down the pipe because of the fear of what AI can do. And, you know, how are they going to, you know, kind of, you know, kind of make us build more walls o- around AI. And, yeah, I agree. Um, especially with companies now, you know, embracing, you know, citizen developers and uh, you know, letting these tools come in. Um, you know, it is scary. I think it's awesome. Um, but that, that's where my concern would be is, is around what their reaction is going to be to AI. I'm curious to see what what role AI plays in bug bounties and when it comes to compliance. So, that's going to be interesting because I've, I've made a lot of money in my lifetime in bug bounties, you know, not necessarily coding, but I've found a lot of holes in firewalls, you know, uh, exposures, these types of things. I've made a lot of money doing that in the past. I'm just kind of curious what how where AI is going to play in those roles where it comes down to compliance because that's a heck of a tool to make a few extra bucks. Yeah, and I, I think that's where it's going to be better used. Like I said, a more fluid environment, you know, um, using it for brute force or poke holes or, you know, validation, things like that. I think there are great uses for it there, but I, um, the, the flip side of it, you know, kind of protecting the data, I'm not so sure. Awesome, awesome. So, Jeff, let's, let's go to recap. Let's cap this up a little bit here quick. Um, what key takeaways would you want to see 
our audience walk away with today based on our conversations? Um, when it comes to this in particular, this topic in particular, I think, as I said earlier, to motivate your non-technical peers and, and leadership, turn the gaps that you're seeing and the challenges you're seeing in meeting the compliance standards into effect. If we don't do this, what's going to happen to the organization? And take that data and put that in a slide. And not, not anything about compliance necessarily, but what's going to happen if we don't comply? What's going to happen if, if we don't align by these new systems to do X, Y, or Z? Using it, having a communications model with your executives based on the impact if we do something and impact if we don't, some, don't do something, that's going to be a big driver. And I can, you can say that for all of cybersecurity, but for compliance in this conversation in particular, that's a big driver because your audience is going to be the CFO, the legal counsel, and the CEO, and the CIO. Right, those four people—they've got to—they—they they are stakeholders in in this compliance process in this in, in DFS to some degree. They own parts of this, so addressing it to them from a that if the results perspective will help drive conversation at the very least and be able to gain <clears throat> credibility, uh, maybe more resources, etc. Um, I would definitely take that approach, especially all, with all compliance, but with this in particular, because there is going to be a lot more scrutiny coming down from. The government on the financial sector, uh, because of the use of what Jason just got done saying about AI, people are looking around and, and seeing how they can use it or not use it. And that's going to cause some impact. So I think that that's something to keep in mind for sure. Jason, what about you? What key takeaways and or next steps would you uh, offer our our customer? I, I think the biggest one, yeah, the biggest one for me, uh, whether you, whether you're um, under NYDFS right now or whether you're you know potentially moving into it, is really understand the timing. Um, I think I don't think we talked too much about it, but I think one of the bigger pain points for us, um, you know, in, in running the business was just understanding the timing of all of the pieces and parts that have to happen every year to meet NYDFS. You know, don't wait too long to do your pen test. Uh, you know, don't don't load you know Q4 with your you know risk assessment, your penetration test, your uh, oh absolutely reviews, um, things like that. You know, really, um, these are are. The, the guidelines and the regulations that you have to meet are tedious and time intensive. You know, they're going to impact your, your staffing, your project plan and really building in, um, you know, time for these activities and, and then using that to, you know, kind of go back and justify your staffing. Um, you know, and, and the same thing as you mentioned, Jeff, you know, kind of taking that and turning it into the bottom line for the business and your CFO to justify this. But I think the, the biggest challenge that I had and, and, the, the advice that I can give to everybody is don't wait, you know, and, and really understand the timing and when, when you need to fit these things in. Yeah. I try to get all of our, and everything, all of our uh, requirements done for any regulatory body by Q3 or yeah. by at least by mid Q3, because something always ends up in the end of Q4 because somebody, some business, you know, someone, some business line couldn't meet or they couldn't do something specific or a project got put off you know, and it ends up impacting the, the timeline of our of our uh, audits and making sure we're done on time. So I understand. I, I agree with that 100%. Staying ahead of it. So, okay. Awesome. Well, folks, we're going to go ahead and uh, end this here on these notes. Gentlemen, I appreciate your help. I appreciate your input and I always appreciate your views. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for, uh, for participating in this week's event. 